0: Missing that hour of sleep, aren't we? Yeah, that's so. I've still got jet lag, so I can't tell any difference. I'm just as foggy as I was yesterday. So it is so good to be back. I want to thank Pastor Keith for, I think he's already stepped out, but just bringing a great word last week, did he not? And we're uh, just so thankful for that as well. It was great. Pastor Bill and I had the opportunity to travel to Europe uh, last, last week, basically, and uh, just a tremendous opportunity um, just to see some things that God's doing around the world. We, we first went to Brussels and we're with our friends uh, Michael and Beryl McNamee. Do you remember the McNamees that were with us in October? And uh, he is the, the director of Convoy of Hope Europe and so we got to spend some time there and see what God is doing there. As well then went with the representative from Convoy of Hope Europe to the nation of Hungary and looked at the project that you just heard about uh, on the video just a little bit that we're going to be um, taking part in over the course of the next two years or so and are uh, really excited. We flew to Budapest in just about 45 minutes outside of Budapest. This, this little village um, where we're going to have an opportunity to partner with the church that is there that is making a huge difference in reaching out to those who are in poverty they're having an investment in the local schools We had a chance to sit with the mayor of the village and uh, not only be welcomed by him but encouraged to come and make a difference there and so it really is a neat opportunity if you're interested in going on uh, one of the trips that will be happening here over the course of the next couple of years, I would encourage you you heard about the meeting in two weeks on the 26 eleven thirty in room- 103. Just come get some more information, find out. Really do believe that everybody at some point in their lives, it is such a healthy thing for you to go and see what God is doing around the world and would encourage you to take part in in what we believe is a really strategic project. The church is being led by this, this little lady. When I say little, I mean four foot three. This little lady, the missionary in Hungary that we worked with is six foot eight. You should see the pictures that I have. She's four foot three. Her name is Peroshka, and she is ferocious. <laughs> this lady is filled with passion. And God is using her not just to build this church, but to equip and encourage churches all in that region. And that passion to be around that, to be quite honest, was, was both humbling and contagious. Today, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter five. We're going to look at a beatitude about passion. We're in a series of messages that we're calling Living Right Side Up in an Upside-Down World. And we're in Matthew chapter five. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And each week, we're looking at one of the Beatitudes, those statements that Jesus started out with where he said, blessed are those who, blessed are thee. And we've looked at several of them over the course of the last few weeks. A couple of things that we've understood as we've gone through this, that the blessed know joy even when they don't feel happy. Even when things aren't easy, or even in difficult times, the blessed know what it's like to have joy. And that the blessed can live right side up when the world is upside down. And we've talked about this already, how so many times it feels like the world we live in is upside down, but because of what God does in our lives, we can know what it's like to live in a way that is right side up. So here's our focus for today. Let's jump right in. Matthew chapter five, verse six. Jesus says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I had to think, Quite a bit about this one. Like, How how do we unpack this? Because on the surface, it seems like we know exactly where this is going. It's about passion. is isn't about hunger and about thirst. Until you stop and go, what does this really mean? Because it's an easy one for us to read over and kind of push through and go, okay, I get that one and go on to some of the other Beatitudes and not really think about how do we significantly allow this passage of scripture to influence our lives. So we're going to ask two questions today as we look at this beatitude that will help us to kind of dig in, see what this is really all about. I want to give you two questions to consider about this passage in Matthew 5, verse 6. Here's the first question that we're going to look at. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The first question I have to ask when I look at that verse is this. Number one, what is righteousness? I mean, we use this word a lot. We talk about being righteous, about how God is righteous. We talk about how we should be righteous, how we should pursue righteousness. But what does this word mean? Righteousness is a word that can be easily misunderstood. If we're not careful, the way that we use it, especially in church settings, we use this word all the time. But do we really know what it means? I often think we use this word based kind of on our own understanding. But when Jesus says that we hunger and thirst for righteousness, what does the Bible really say? In a, in a real broad sense, righteousness refers to a state of things being right before God. Righteousness, kind of in, in a real broad sense, means that it's a state of things being right before God. And when you understand what it means to be in right relationship with God, his desires, his righteousness, that's, that's an idea of what's behind this. Let me give you just from the Old Testament kind of a snapshot of how we see this. The book of Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 25 It says, the righteous eat to their hearts content, but the stomach of the wicked goes hungry. He's saying here in this passage that when you are righteous, you're filled. That there's something that is, and and, and as easy as this sounds, it's so true, there's something that is right when you are living in a place of righteousness. Now, as you look throughout scripture, you'll see this word used in, in a lot of different ways. The word righteous can be used in a spiritual, moral, and social sense. You'll you'll see it used in different ways, in a spiritual or a moral or a social sense. Sometimes it's used in a spiritual sense. In fact, you, you get this an awful lot when you read through the writings of the Apostle Paul. It talks about our righteousness, how God gives us his righteousness. Spiritually, Jesus died to make us righteous. There was his death on the cross that gave us the righteousness of God so that then we could be right with him. If you look at Romans chapter five, Paul says, we have been made right in God's sight through the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's righteousness that comes to us kind of in this spiritual sense. You also see it used throughout scripture in what we might call a moral sense, that we are called to a life of righteousness, that the choices we make, that the way that we live our lives reflects the life that God has called us to. So he has called us to live a life that is righteous, that is right before God. And then you also see it used throughout scripture, kind of in a, in a social sense, how God wants the world to be right. You'll see this a lot in the prophets. You'll, you'll even see this, especially in the New Testament, in the writings of Luke, that when he talks about righteousness, many times he's speaking of it, even especially in his, his uh, expression of the Beatitudes, you see this in a way that has a bit of a social sense to it. Sometimes we even refer to it as justice. It's why we engage ourselves in issues of compassion, where we help others, social justice, even what we, we hope to do in part when we're in the nation of Hungary, that we can help to bring God's righteousness even in a social sense. Now today we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about righteousness in the, in the spiritual sense. The apostle Paul does that a lot in his writings. And we're not going to do it so much in the, in the sense of justice or socially because that's, that's kind of different. When you see it in Matthew, Matthew uses this term an awful lot And he speaks of it in the sense of when God's kingdom comes to us, it will be a kingdom of righteousness where you and I will live in a way more more morally, but even more personally, that our relationship is going to be right with God. Remember, Matthew's talking about how God's kingdom comes to earth, and when it does, it will change us. It will make a difference in our lives. So he has to help us really understand for you and I personally on a one-to-one basis in our relationship with God, what does righteousness mean? And, And a corrective might be necessary here because righteousness is not just following the rules. I think we often think that if I'm righteous then I'll just follow the rules. I'll do the good stuff. I won't do the bad stuff. And we think that it's just that simple, that righteousness is just not breaking the rules. The truth is, though, sometimes it's not that simple. When we were, this would be, I think, last, last Friday or Saturday, Pastor Bill and I were in, in Brussels, and we had breakfast, and then we had a little bit of time to kill before we were going to get picked up. And so we were at the hotel, and I said, hey, there's a grocery store that's right next door here. Let's go over there. Because it's just kind of fun walking around a grocery store in some place that you're not. Have you ever done You go into a different country and you just kind of walk around. You can't read a thing. It's awesome. And you just kind of walk in. And, um, and you know, it was, it, was, it was actually really just this big kind of cool grocery store. And we go walking in. And they had this massive revolving door that you would walk in to go in and out of. That door was bigger than the first home that Rhonda and I lived in. I mean, it was huge. Walked in this thing, big store, we're walking around. We kind of moved around, and eventually God led us to the cookie aisle. And it was, (laughs) it was fantastic. The Lord blessed us there. And so we bought some cookies that we couldn't read and we were walking back. We went up to check out, you know, and you're checking out and the ladies ask, you're in in Brussels. So they might be speaking in French. They might be speaking in Flemish. We have no idea what they're speaking to us in, but they're speaking and we're like, yeah, that's great. You know, you just put the credit card in and pray for the best, right? That's kind of how it works. Get our cookies, we go walking out. Right in front of us are the doors to walk out. Nice little signs on the doors. We don't know French, Flemish, we don't know what they say. We just walk out the doors. The translation would have been emergency exit only. (laughs) We didn't know. We just walked right out the doors. We're happy, we got cookies, we're living the dream. We walk out the door, the only thing I can understand is the woman at the cash register yells, oh no monsieur, like that. No joke, if we just turn around, we kind of just go walk, we don't know where to go now. You know that revolving door, it revolves for a reason. So you can go in and you can go out. You don't go out, the emergency exit. And one lady goes, close the door. That was when they decided to use English like that. So we closed the door, walked out. Here's the deal, it wasn't in our hearts to do a bad thing. We just didn't know what the rules were. This is where righteousness gets foggy sometimes. Because we say, well, I've got to do the right thing and I won't do the wrong thing. And you you try to wrestle with all those kinds of things. What is righteousness really? What is it that Jesus is talking about? Because in our day, it's the same as what it was in Jesus' day. The church in his day, the Jewish establishment in his day wanted to define everything that was right and wrong simply based on the rules. And it goes so much deeper than that. The teachers at that time, the scribes and the Pharisees, had tried to condense a relationship with God to regulations. And although God's word has standards for us to live by, and we need to be aware of those, we have to talk about what is sin and what is not, what pleases God and what does not, what is in line with God's word and what is not. But what happened is they put so many fences up around God's rules The people were burdened by what they saw. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to define for us what righteousness really is. He says this, if you go a little further, Matthew chapter five, verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, rewind this a little bit, Pharisees and teachers of the law, those are the supreme religious leaders at the time. They're the ones who designed all the regulations. They were the ones that appeared to be the most righteous. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. He says, look, if you're you're not more righteous than the most righteous, you're not gonna make it into heaven. Is that a pretty heavy statement? It's a huge statement. So we have to understand what does that mean? Does that mean I have to get every rule exactly right if you look at it in the bigger context of the gospel of matthew you see that jesus issue with the pharisees goes far beyond right and wrong it goes deeper than that look at what he says further on in the in the book he's he's actually kind of calling them out matthew chapter 23 verse 25 look at what jesus says woe to you teachers of the law and pharisees you hypocrites you clean the outside of the cup and dish but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! Jesus has a way with words, doesn't he? You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but in the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. For Jesus, the issue wasn't the rules and regulations. It's the fact that they tried to be righteous because of the rules, but were actually pretty nasty on the inside. They gave the appearance that everything was good. But inside, what do you you say? It's like you're filled with dead men's bones. It's quite an image he paints there. See, real righteousness is from the inside out and not the outside in. Real righteousness comes from the inside out, not the outside in. And this is huge for us to understand because when we think of someone that's righteous, we start with the outside. What do they look like on the outside? And the reality is the outside isn't what you gauge it by. You gauge it by the inside. If you want to be righteous before God, it has to start with what is within you. Because if what is within you is not right, then everything else will fall apart. Do you remember several years back when the the Corvette Museum in Bowling Green, Kentucky, do you remember when they got a sinkhole there? Does anybody remember that? Right there in this museum, the floor opens up, swallows a car. Craziness. They They didn't know that was happening. Here's the thing, what was going on inside the earth was not stable, it was not right, and as a result, when it collapsed, the rest of it fell in. Some of our lives are like that. We try to look righteous on the outside, but on the inside, we've got this giant spiritual sinkhole. We're too busy to spend time with God, or we refuse to deal with past hurts. We have habitual sin. We have these secret addictions. We have character flaws, and all of those things are setting us up for collapse because we want everybody to think we're righteous on the outside when actually internally things are just not right. We have a spiritual sinkhole. And Jesus' point is this. If you want to talk about righteousness, that's what you need to address, not just whether or not people think you're following the rules, but what's really going on in your heart. Because here's the difference. If the inside is right, the outside will be transformed. See, if all you're focused on is the outside, then the inside gets neglected. But if you deal with the inside, if you allow God to work inside of you, if you allow Jesus to be your righteousness, isn't this the whole point of salvation? that he saves us, that it's his salvation, that's his change. What's Paul say? If anyone is in Christ, then you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If you allow him to do that, then the change happens from the inside and it changes what happens on the outside. What's fascinating about what Jesus does next in this sermon is that he takes the rules and regulations that these Pharisees had hung on to from the Old Testament and he turns them upside down He shows us what righteousness really looks like. Now, we don't have time to unpack all of these, but just just watch what he says next. Verse 20, Jesus says, look, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you won't make it into heaven. He says, let me prove my point. Matthew chapter five, verse 21. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Most people that are hearing Jesus go, dodge that one. I ain't never killed anybody. That's what they're thinking. Jesus goes on to say this, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Did he just change things up there? Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus says, look, it's not just what you've done with your hands. Righteousness is a matter of who you are in your heart. It's what's going on inside of you it's not enough to just say, well, I've never killed anybody. But what's happening in your heart, your thoughts, your words? Because the intention may be just the same. Then he meddles a little bit more. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart, it's not just adultery when there's been an act of sexual immorality with someone other than your spouse. He says that adultery can even be classified as lust in your heart. He says it's, it's the same sin. Then he digs a little bit further. Watch what he says, verse 31. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. This is good for us to have a little background here. In that culture, a guy, both in the, in the Roman world but even in the Jewish society, could divorce his wife for just about anything. He got to a point and could work the law just a little bit and just says, you know what, I'm just kind of tired of being married to her. He could get a certificate of divorce and he could change that up. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's never how it was intended. So he says, it's been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and divorce. And, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It was a convenience in that culture. And Jesus says, your commitment wasn't just legal. Your commitment was in the heart. Then he goes on and digs a little bit more. Matthew chapter five, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. People, people were, were swearing these oaths to try to prove that they were, they were trustworthy and they were honest and kind of had gotten out of hand and Jesus said for crying out loud, don't swear an oath, just make sure you tell the truth. Just be a person of character. Don't try to prove who you are on the outside. Be real to who God wants you to be on the inside. See, he starts digging here. He rewrites righteousness. He says, righteousness isn't you following rules. Man, so many of us, and especially if you've come from from what I would just call a strained church background. If you've had some relationships or experiences in the church that have maybe left you questioning God's love or left you unhealthy, sometimes we go, to be right, I have to make sure I do everything right. And Jesus says, look, it's not what you look like on the outside. It's who you've allowed me to make you on the inside. Righteousness is not a matter of the law, but a matter of the heart and letting him change you from the inside out. It's not following the rules. It's not listening what others say about us. It's not measuring ourselves against some standard outside of the Bible. It's allowing Jesus to change you. And when he changes you, then your outside will be righteous because he's changed you on the inside. I'm not saying we're not supposed to be righteous. We have to live by this word, but it's different when we allow him to change us on the inside. Does anybody agree? This is always one of the toughest Sundays of the year to preach because you are all minus one hour of sleep. And you're already ticked off about that. This, this, is, this is so key to what Jesus is saying here. It's interesting also what he says. When he talks about anger, when he talks about lust, when he talks about us, us leaving our commitments behind because of convenience, he shows us this, that selfishness is the enemy of righteousness. What robs us of righteousness It's when I say I've got my own agenda, I want to do things my way, the easy way, what I like to refer to as the Chad way. Insert your own name, because we all do it. What robs us of righteousness, it's our selfishness. Now you probably want to do the right thing. Deep down inside we do, but we give ourselves the opportunity to give way to ourselves. Look at Jesus' examples, we get angry over things and we use those things to determine the value of others. We give way to lust in a culture that makes idols out of the physical and the sexual, and then our hearts are divided, and we lose intimacy with both God and with our spouses. We choose convenience over our commitments, and over time, our word doesn't mean what it used to mean. And maybe it's time for you and I to ask some questions of self-evaluation. And instead of trying to appear righteous on the outside, Do we say, God, will you help me to be righteous on the inside? Scripture says we have freedom. But for too many of us, we've used our spiritual freedom to see how far away from God's righteousness we can get without calling it sin. Does that make sense? Sometimes we go, well, I I can do whatever I want. But every time I make that decision, it actually moves me further and further away from where God really wants me to be. When instead, what if I would say, God, would you just change me on the inside? God, would you be at work in my life? on the inside, and for some of us, that's probably a good question for us to ask. You ever ever cut into something like a melon or fruit, an apple, something, or you open up a container and you look inside and you go, oh, that's nasty. You ever cut into something and you go, oh, that's rotten. Anybody ever done that? You open up something, you look inside the tub and you go, I didn't remember that being green. You find that something's rotten on the inside when was the last time you opened up your heart and you looked inside and maybe what you've tried to portray on the outside isn't exactly what's really going on on the inside? We must be aware of the danger of convincing ourselves that the outside is good when the inside is actually rotten. We've got to be aware of the danger, and I think we've all done this, where we convince ourselves that the outside is good when the inside is actually rotten. So what is righteousness? At the end of the day, it's it's a state of our heart, which leads us to the second question about what Jesus says to us here. Then how do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? If we are to be righteous, then how do we hunger and thirst for righteousness For righteousness this was kind of the second question I asked myself when I was thinking about this because if I know what righteousness is then what does it mean when Jesus says that we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness if we're really going to be honest with ourselves very few of us really know what it's like to hunger and thirst I mean the truth is we have food at our fingertips if you're if you're really hungry for most of us you probably have something at home and if you don't grocery stores and fast food restaurants are open 24 hours For most of us, even in tough financial times, we can find something to eat. If we need something to drink, there's a box out in the hallway where you can get a drink. Have you been there? It's free, it's a water fountain. We don't have to to struggle to find those things. It wasn't like that in the ancient world. For many in the ancient world, on a daily basis, they had to go, where's my next meal gonna come from? Where am I gonna find clean water? So throughout scripture, when you see the terms hunger and thirst, Those tapped into a physical reality that in truth, many of us really do not know in this day. Here's what he means here. Hunger and thirst are a deep desire. It's not just a little bit of longing. This goes deeper. Hunger and thirst are this deep desire. It's something that I want. And Jesus is saying that our desire for things to be right with God should motivate us at our most basic level. That what drives us, that who we are is motivated by this. God, I want to be right with you. I want your righteousness in my life. I want to live for you. That we hunger and thirst for this. And and if I can, I want to be bold enough to say, I don't think for many of us we live that way. In fact, I would say for most of us, we probably don't. We think of the things that we need from day to day and we just kind of roll through. And oftentimes, I think we kind of keep God as a side dish more than the main entree. And although our relationship with God may be a central part of our lives, my question is, do you find yourself putting God's priorities as the very first thing in your life? When was the last time that you thought about honoring God in the same way that you're driven for that first cup of coffee in the morning? Can I get an amen? Amen. I know some of you. Life doesn't start until the caffeine kicks in. When was the last time you thought about Wanting more of God in your life in that way. The way that you look forward to breakfast. That lunch that you spend all morning or all of this sermon thinking about. A drink of water on a hot day. The question is, do you hunger and thirst for him? Scripture kind of paints pictures around this over and over again. Here's here's one of them, Psalm 107 verse 8. The psalmist writes, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. See, this is who God is. He comes to us when we hunger and thirst for him, and he satisfies us and he fills us. We are to long for things to be made right with God in our lives, in our culture, in our world. This is who we are to be. We are to long for things to be made right with God because it's only in him that we'll be satisfied. And for some of us, we've been placing our motivations, we've been placing our desires in things that will not last, things that are not made right with God to satisfy us through him. And like Jesus said, it's not until we start there that we will be blessed. What did he say? Matthew chapter six, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. See what he says, seek first. We are to make righteousness our priority. We're to make it a priority that we seek after him, that we know him, that we allow our days to be driven by that. And for too many of us, we push that aside. He says, look, if you make righteousness your priority, I'll take care of the rest. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you, he says. But for many of us, we let our relationship with God become an afterthought. I'll get things right with God when... I've heard that many times from people. You know, I'll I'll get things right with God when I get to. First, I will. At some point, I will. You say, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do this first. When did we make God's relationship with us a priority? Matthew chapter 42, or excuse me, Psalm 42, verse 2. Psalmist writes, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God The point here is that we are to eagerly desire righteousness. We are to eagerly desire God's righteousness in our lives. Here's here's how I grew up thinking about righteousness. I grew up thinking about righteousness as something that I had to do. I have to be righteous. I have to make the right choices. I thought about righteousness the way a little kid thinks about cough medicine. You ever watch a little kid drink that little cup of cough medicine? You pour that out and you put that in their hands. My kids, we would, we would basically have to put them in a straitjacket to get them to drink that stuff. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's good for you, so drink it. It tastes terrible and you don't want it and you don't want anything to do with that and you put that up and you smell it. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever seen a kid do this? And eventually you're just, you know, you go, I'm holding the kid, Rhonda's got the, you know, you're getting that cough medicine in. Bless God, right? That's how it works. We think of righteousness in that way. I just got to slam this thing down. Look, let me put a little spoonful of sugar on that for you. Is that okay? Righteousness is not a medicine that you have to take. Scripture says it is the thing that we are to desire. We are to hunger and thirst for it. Not because it just keeps us from being sick, but actually because it helps us to live life. It fills us. It satisfies us. We are to let it come in and change us. We've got to change even our thoughts about righteousness in this way. It's what we live on. We can't let the rules and the regulations be the things that that seem to drag us down. It's about who you get to know, not about what you can and cannot do. Righteousness should change us. I've I've watched this happen over and over again, I remember it even in my own life. When you live life a certain way, I was in high school, and then all of a sudden, I met Rhonda, and the things that I thought were a priority, weren't a priority anymore. I was willing to give up certain things so I could spend time with her. I changed some things in my life, not because I had to, not because she forced me to, but because I wanted to, because I wanted to be with that person. We need to stop thinking about righteousness as something that we have to do and realize that when we desire to know God more, when we hunger and thirst for him, it changes us on the inside, not because he's trying to take anything away from us, but because he's trying to fill us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's interesting that line there where he says, you need to continue to work out your salvation, which reminds us we are to consistently desire righteousness. Consistently, it is a process where we continue Hunger and thirst is a constant process. Do you know what I did last night? I ate dinner, and it was great. In fact, true confession, I probably ate too much dinner last night. Guess what happened when I woke up this morning? I was really hungry. I ate last night, but I was hungry again. And sometimes we think, well, I, I, I talked to God then or I read my Bible then. I don't have to do it now. It is a constant process of us being willing to fill ourselves to hunger and thirst for the things of God. You have to seek to know God and then let that relationship change you. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. The author of Hebrews writes, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. It's a pretty telling indictment, isn't it? Well, the author of Hebrews says you, you, you should be this, but you're still like a little baby. You're not growing. You're not maturing. He says we are to actively desire righteousness, that we're to seek for it, that we're to actively want this in our lives. How do we get that? Where does satisfaction come from? I would encourage you, if you're curious about this, start here, satisfaction is found in God's word. It's found when we spend time in God's word. And scripture says over and over again, here's here's just one example, Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And the truth is, if you look at that verse and go, boy, I have no idea what that means. I have no thought what it means to to read God's word and say, hmm, that, that was sweet to me then I would encourage you that maybe it's time for you to, to take some time and open up God's word and begin to let his word speak to you by his spirit, by his word. When you spend time, you, you don't have to spend hours and hours, just make it a regular practice of being in his word. And you might say, well, Chad, where do I start? I, I'd say right now, it'd be great for you to start in the book of Matthew because that's where we're at right now as a church. So it'd be great. Read, read through the book of Matthew. What do I do when I finish Matthew? It'd be great if you go to the book of Acts because in April, after Easter, we're gonna jump into the book of Acts and spend some time working our way through there and allow God's word to speak to you and his word to bring satisfaction to you. Satisfaction is found in God's word. Satisfaction is also found in right living. When I choose to live right, when I let what God's done on the inside be clear on the outside, it makes all the difference. For some of us, our our lives are struggling in a certain way. We're struggling to kind of move forward, and we wonder why it seems like we don't have stability and why we don't have satisfaction and why we're struggling to feel filled and satisfied in life. And it may be because we keep taking these left turns away from what God's will is for us. But when you live a life of righteousness, look at the phrase he uses here. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. If you want stability in your life, it starts with right living. Here's the truth. If we're not growing, we may need to reevaluate our nourishment. If in our lives, we're not seeing our lives move forward, if we're not developing spiritually, then maybe we need to stop and ask the question, what is it that we're feeding on? Isn't that a great concern? When, when someone has a child, they take that child quite often to the doctor to have that child checked in that first year. Why do you have those well checks? Because you want to see, is the child progressing? And if the child is not progressing, one of the questions that they ask is, how is that child being nourished? What are they eating? How much are they eating? And this probably should be a good question for us to ask as well. I've talked to a lot of people recently, it's been interesting, where they've said, you know, I've had to adjust my diet. I've had to stay away from certain sugars or lactose or gluten or carbs or these different things that they were eating that were having a negative effect on their lives. My question is, what are you hungering and thirsting for? Are you hungering and thirsting for things that are outside of God's best for you? Or are you putting as your priority, God, I want you to be first in my life. It could be that you've allowed your appetites to determine your nourishment And as a result, you've missed out on good food that God has for you. Maybe you've let God become more of a a snack or a side dish than what he wants to be, that he wants you to hunger and thirst for him. See, satisfaction is found in Jesus Christ. If you're looking for satisfaction, you'll find it only in one place. Satisfaction is found in Jesus Christ. Look, for some of you, you've been struggling because you feel like there's just this certain sense of, you can fill in the blank, regret, emptiness, disappointment, struggle. You're trying to move forward in life. You're not exactly sure how to do it. And there's this, there's this emptiness that's there. And you feel like, I just wish my life had some fulfillment. And maybe it's because you've been in a spiritual sense, eating an awful lot of junk food And you've been filling your life with things that you hope will satisfy, but they never will. And here's God's invitation to you. He says, come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fair. Isaiah chapter 55, verses one and two. If you have this emptiness in your life, I wanna tell you the search for satisfaction will only be fulfilled in God. And the truth is, the way that happens is when we hunger and thirst for him, when we long for that relationship with him, when was the last time that you longed for something, that you desired something, that you just let something drive you in some way? Do you do you ever do you ever wake up and just go, God, I want to be in your presence? <laughs> do you ever walk into life and just go, God, I want to get on the other side of this with you, Lord? What I need is your help in this situation. God, what I need is your wisdom in that relationship. God, what I need is your your strength in this time of uncertainty. God, what I need from the inside out is you. See, we long for so many things and we try to do so many things on ourselves and we go through these journeys in life and we're we're just trying to get to the other side, but at some point do we ever go, God, what I hunger and thirst for is you because here's the reality. If you look for it in any other place, you won't be satisfied jesus is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for being right with him because that's the only place where you'll be filled so what's the response to to this beatitude for some of us it's taking a good look on the inside and going you know there's some stuff in me that's it's kind of rotten and i may try to look righteous on the outside but i'm really just rotten on the inside and it may be time for some repentance and to say, God, I put my hope and my real focus on you. For some of us, it may be just as simple as a change in our priority that we're willing to say, God, I I put you focus first. I'm gonna seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, and then believe that everything else will come to me. For some of you, it may be a shift in your desire say, God, I've got to make you the priority for my satisfaction in my life. I think for each one of us, it's a little bit different how God might want to use this beatitude in our lives. And we have to be open to say, God, I I entrust this to you. So I invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And I think maybe the, the healthiest thing that we can do, whether you're here in Auditorium One or you're watching online or you're in the chapel in our generation service, Maybe you just take a moment and say, God, is is my hunger and thirst for you, for your righteousness at the level that you want it to be? God, are you calling me today to know you more, to spend more time in your presence, to find a way for you to speak to my heart, to deal with those things that maybe have challenged my allegiance to you? let you be at work in my life maybe the best thing for us to do is just if 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 you know the holy spirit speaking to your heart today and you would say god i know that this week i need to respond to your word would you just lift your hand just kind of as a statement of faith god your your word speaking to my heart and this week i need to respond father we come to you we thank you for your word, the way that it speaks to us, God, the way that it challenges us. And Lord, you've called us to hunger and thirst for you. Lord, would you take your word and allow it to be something that we live out Lord, that we wouldn't let anything else take its place. But God, that we would look to you as our focus and our priority. We hunger and thirst for you. Pray that you would fill us. God, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Lord, would you send us out with your special favor, your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name.